Section 28 of The Extermination of the American Bison. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jen Mitchell. The Extermination of the American Bison by William T. Hornaday. Part 3 The Smithsonian Expedition for Museum Specimens. Chapter 1 the exploration during the first three months of the year eighteen eighty six it was ascertained by the writer then chief taxidermist of the national museum that the extermination of the american bison had made most alarming progress by extensive correspondence it was learned that the destruction of all the large herds both north and south was already an accomplished fact while it was generally supposed that at least a few thousand individuals still inhabited the more remote and inaccessible regions of what once constituted the great northern buffalo range, it was found that the actual number remaining in the whole United States was probably less than 300. By some authorities who were consulted, it was considered an impossibility to procure a large series of specimens anywhere in this country while others asserted positively that there were no wild buffaloes south of the British possessions save those in the Yellowstone National Park. Canadian authorities asserted with equal positiveness that none remained in their territory. A careful inventory of the specimens in the collection of the National Museum revealed the fact that, with the exception of one mounted female skin, another unmounted, and one mounted skeleton of a male buffalo, the museum was actually without presentable specimens of this most important and interesting mammal. Besides those mentioned above, the collection contained only two old, badly mounted and dilapidated skins, one of which had been taken in summer and therefore was not representative, an incomplete skeleton, some fragmentary skulls of no value, and two mounted heads. Thus it appeared that the museum was unable to show a series of specimens, good or bad, or even one presentable male of good size. In view of this alarming state of affairs, coupled with the already declared extinction of Bison Americanus, the secretary of the Smithsonian Institution, Professor Spencer F. Baird, determined to send a party into the field at once to find wild buffalo, if any were still living, and, in case any were found, to collect a number of specimens. Since it seemed highly uncertain whether any other institution or any private individual would have the opportunity to collect a large supply of specimens before it became too late, it was decided by the secretary that the Smithsonian Institution should undertake the task of providing for the future as liberally as possible, for the benefit of the smaller scientific museums of the country, and for others which will come into existence during the next half century, it was resolved to collect at all hazards, in case buffalo could be found, between eighty and one hundred specimens of various kinds, of which from twenty to thirty should be skins, an equal number should be complete skeletons, and of skulls at least fifty. In view of the great scarcity of buffalo, and the general belief that it might be a work of some months to find any specimens, even if it were possible to find any at all, it was determined not to risk the success of the undertaking by delaying it until the regular autumn hunting season, but to send a party into the field at once to prosecute a search. 
it was resolved to discover at all hazards the whereabouts of any buffalo that might still remain in this country in a wild state and if possible to reach them before the shedding of their winter pelage it very soon became apparent however that the latter would prove an utter impossibility late in the month of april a letter was received from dr j c merrill united states army dated at huntley montana giving information of reports that buffalo were still to be found in three localities in the northwest viz on the headwaters of the powder river wyoming in judith basin montana and on big dry creek also in montana the reports in regard to the first two localities proved to be erroneous it was ascertained to a reasonable certainty that there still existed in southwestern dakota a small band of six or eight wild buffaloes while from the panhandle of texas there came reports of the existence there in small scattered hands of about two hundred head the buffalo known to be in dakota were far too few in number to justify a long and expensive search while those in texas on the canadian river were too difficult to reach to make it advisable to hunt them save as a last resort it was therefore decided to investigate the localities named in the northwest through the courtesy of the secretary of war an order was sent to the officer commanding the department of dakota requesting him to furnish the party through the officers in command at forts keogh mcginnis and mckinney such field transportation escort and camp equipage as might be necessary and also to sell the party such commissary stores as might be required at cost price plus ten per cent the secretary of the interior also favored the party with an order directing all indian agents scouts and others in the service of the department to render assistance as far as possible when called upon in view of the public interest attaching to the results of the expedition the railway transportation of the party to and from montana was furnished entirely without cost to the smithsonian institution for these valuable courtesies we gratefully acknowledge our obligations to mr frank thompson of the pennsylvania railroad mr roswell miller of the chicago milwaukee and st paul and mr robert harris of the northern pacific under orders from the secretary of the smithsonian institution the writer left washington on may sixth accompanied by a h forney assistant in the department of taxidermy and george h headley of medina new york it had been decided that miles city montana might properly be taken as the first objective point and that town was reached on may ninth diligent inquiry in miles city and at fort keogh two miles distant revealed the fact that no one knew of the presence of any wild buffalo anywhere in the northwest save within the protected limits of the yellowstone park all inquiries elicited the same reply there are no buffalo any more and you can't get any anywhere many persons who were considered good authority declared most positively that there was not a live buffalo in the vicinity of big dry creek nor anywhere between the yellowstone and missouri rivers an army officer from fort mcginnis testified to the total absence of buffalo in the judith basin and ranchmen from wyoming asserted that none remained in the powder river country just at this time it was again reported to us and most opportunely confirmed by mr henry e phillips owner of the l u bar ranch on little dry creek that there still remained a chance to find a few buffalo in the country lying south of the big dry on the other hand other persons who seemed to be fully informed regarding that very region and the animal life it contained assured us that not a single buffalo remained there 
and that a search in that direction would prove fruitless. But the balance of evidence, however, seemed to lie in favor of the big dry country, and we resolved to hunt through it with all possible dispatch. On the afternoon of May 13th, we crossed the Yellowstone and started northwest up the trail, which leads along Sunday Creek. Our entire party consisted of the two assistants already mentioned, a non-commissioned officer, Sergeant Garone, and four men from the 5th Infantry acting as escort. Private Jones, also from the 5th Infantry, detailed to act as our cook and a teamster. Our conveyance consisted of a six-mule team, which, like the escort, was ordered out for twenty days only and provided accordingly. Before leaving Miles City, we purchased two saddle horses for use in hunting, the equipments for which were furnished by the Ordnance Department at Fort Keogh. During the first two days' travel through the badlands north of the Yellowstone, no mammals were seen save prairie dogs and rabbits. On the third day, a few antelope were seen, but none killed. It is to be borne in mind that this entire region is absolutely treeless everywhere, save along the margins of the largest streams. Bushes are also entirely absent, with the exception of sagebrush, and even that does not occur to any extent on the divides. On the third day, two young buck antelopes were shot at the Red Buttes. One had already commenced to shed his hair, but the other had not quite reached that point. We prepared the skin of the first specimen and the skeleton of the other. This was the only good antelope skin we obtained in the spring, those of all the other specimens taken being quite worthless on account of the looseness of the hair. During the latter part of May, and from that time on until the winter hair is completely shed, it falls off in handfuls at the slightest pressure, leaving the skin clad only with the thin growth of new, moose-colored hair an eighth of an inch long. After reaching Little Dry Creek and hunting through the country on the west side of it nearly to its confluence with the Big Dry, we turned southwest and finally went into permanent camp on Phillips Creek, eight miles above the L.U. Bar Ranch and four miles from the Little Dry. At that point we were about 80 miles from Miles City. From information furnished us by Mr. Phillips and the cowboys in his employ, we were assured that about 35 head of buffalo ranged in the badlands between Phillips Creek and the Muscleshell River and south of the Big Dry. This tract of country was about 40 miles long from east to west by 25 miles wide and therefore of about 1,000 square miles in area. Excepting two temporary cowboy camps, it was totally uninhabited by man, treeless, without any running streams, save in winter and spring, and was mostly very hilly and broken. In this desolate and inhospitable country, the thirty-five buffaloes alluded to had been seen first on Sand Creek, then at the head of the Big Porcupine, again near the Muscle Shell, and latest near the head of the Little Dry. As these points were all from fifteen to thirty miles distant from each other, the difficulty of finding such a small herd becomes apparent. Although Phillips Creek was really the eastern boundary of the buffalo country, it was impossible for a six-mule wagon to proceed beyond it, at least at that point. Having established a permanent camp, the government wagon and its escort returned to Fort Keogh, and we proceeded to hunt through the country between Sand Creek and the Little Dry. The absence of nearly all the cowboys on the spring roundup, which began May 20th, threatened to be a serious drawback to us, as we greatly needed the services of a man who was acquainted with the country. 
we had with us a scout and a guide a cheyenne indian named dog but it soon became apparent that he knew no more about the country than we did fortunately however we succeeded in occasionally securing the services of a cowboy which was of great advantage to us it was our custom to ride over the country daily each day making a circuit through a new locality and covering as much ground as it was possible to ride over in a day it was also our custom to take trips of from two to four days in length during which we carried our blankets and rations upon our horses and camped wherever night overtook us provided water could be found our first success consisted in the capture of a buffalo calf which from excessive running had become unable to keep up with its mother and had been left behind the calf was cut alive without any difficulty and while two of the members of our party carried it to camp across a horse the other two made a vigorous effort to discover the band of adult animals the effort was unsuccessful for besides the calf no other buffaloes were seen ten days after the above event two bull buffaloes were met with on the little dry fifteen miles above the l u bar ranch one of which was overtaken and killed but the other got safely away the shedding of the winter coat was in full progress on the head neck and shoulders the old hair had been entirely replaced by the new although the two coats were so matted together that the old hair clung in tangled masses to the other the old hair was brown and weather-beaten but the new which was from three to six inches long had a peculiar bluish-gray appearance on the head the new hair was quite black and contrasted oddly with the lighter color on the body and hindquarters there were large patches of skin which were perfectly bare between which lay large patches of old woolly brown hair this curious condition gave the animal a very unkempt and seedy appearance the effect of which was heightened by the long shaggy locks of old weather-beaten hair which clung to the new coat of the neck and shoulders like tattered signals of distress ready to be blown away by the first gust of wind the specimen was a large one measuring five feet four inches in height inasmuch as the skin was not in condition to mount we took only the skeleton entire and the skin of the head and neck the capture of the calf and the death of this bull proved conclusively that there were buffaloes in that region and also that they were breeding in comparative security the extent of the country they had to range over made it reasonably certain that their number would not be diminished to any serious extent by the cowboys on the spring round-up although it was absolutely certain that in a few months the members of that band would all be killed the report of the existence of a herd of thirty-five head was confirmed later by cowboys who had actually seen the animals and killed two of them merely for sport as usual they saved a few pounds of hump meat and all the rest became food for the wolves and foxes it was therefore resolved to leave the buffaloes entirely unmolested until autumn and then when the robes would be in the finest condition return for a hunt on a liberal scale accordingly it was decided to return to washington without delay and a courier was dispatched with a request for transportation to carry our party back to fort keogh while awaiting the arrival of the wagons a cowboy in the employ of the phillips land and cattle company killed a solitary bull buffalo about fifteen miles west of our camp near sand creek this animal had completely shed the hair on his body and hindquarters in addition to the preservation of his entire skeleton 
we prepare the skin also as an example of the condition of the buffalo immediately after shedding. On June 6, the teams from Fort Keogh arrived, and we immediately returned to Miles City, taking with us our live buffalo calf, two fresh buffalo skeletons, three bleached skeletons, seven skulls, one skin entire, and one head skin, in addition to a miscellaneous collection of skins and skeletons of smaller mammals and birds. On reaching Miles City, we hastily packed and shipped our collection, and taking the calf with us, returned at once to Washington. End of section 28. Recording by Jen Mitchell.